When one thinks of alien abduction, one might be tempted to have a very straightforward idea of what that entails. Extraterrestrials forcibly taking innocent people under their control in order to achieve a specific outcome. But what if the abduction phenomenon is far more multifaceted than one might think? Who is actually pulling the strings when it comes to this elusive phenomenon? Is there a human element involved? Are humans and non-humans working in collusion when it comes to so-called alien abduction? And just what is the agenda? Are alien abductions connected to artificial intelligence, transhumanism, or something even more dark and covert? These are some of the questions I pondered along with UFO researcher and historian Richard Dolan. This is not your typical interview, but rather a conversation that without question took us down the proverbial rabbit hole like never before. Have a listen. It's been a little over a year since we've had you on the show, Richard, and I know you've been keeping quite the frenetic pace these days, but you know, I felt it was time to have you back on to share your insight and of course your stellar research with all of us here at Higher Journeys. So thank you for graciously taking the time to join us. Hi, Alexis. I always enjoy our chats, so uh, thank That's you for having I. me back on again. Lovely. Wonderful. Well, listen, I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been keeping count of the number of times you've been on our show, and this marks our fourth chat together. Oh, and wow. Can you believe it? I think the first one was in 2015. We were talking about the idea of ET encounters of the human kind, mm -hmm. these are yeah. stories that you shared with us of individual accounts uh, that you'd personally taken uh, about individuals who had their own crazy odysseys with possible non-human entities that look human. And I then, yeah, isn't, and I've heard you tell those stories a few times more, but I got to tell you, I think ours was the best. Because <laughs> you just, <laughs> it, could, it could be. Yes, it was yes. just, it was, uh, you yeah. really went into a lot of detail there. But then we, we met up again in Maine, I believe, in 2016. And we were talking oh, about the history of false flags. Remember? Remember that yes, hot day? I do where remember that now. I've forgotten all about that. Yeah, Portland. We're both wearing sunglasses and apologizing. Like, we're not just trying to look cool. It is really bright out here. <laughs> yeah, but the sunglasses were cool. Let's face it. <laughs> that was fun, too. Oh, but, and, you know, speaking of the false flags, this is a subject that you have been bearing down on in recent years. Uh, so I maybe want to touch on that before we mm -hmm. uh, go off. The yeah, I need today. to get that one done. Yeah, but yes, you sure absolutely. do. Yeah. But then back in 2017, just a year ago this past June, we met up at Contact in the Desert to discuss this ever-growing phenomenon of AI, artificial intelligence, and the implications yes. it may eventually have on all of humanity. Oh, yes. So, yeah, yes, we, indeed. We covered a range of stuff. But today, I want to go into a subject that has no shortage of contention, speculation, mm -hmm. and mystery, and that is the alien abduction phenomenon. Great. You know, this aspect of the UFO mystery never gets old for me. What about you? No, it's, it's really true. And and thinking about alien abductions, it's worth remembering. I mean, it is to this day, despite the fact that it's ubiquitous in our popular culture. I mean, everyone talks about alien abduction. We all know what that means. But there's never there has never been agreement on even whether it's happening uh, among researchers. And um, even in the first couple of decades of UFO study, 1950s, 1960s, it, it was not even considered an issue at all. I mean, no form of contact with very few exceptions, was considered even possible or, or happening. Mm -hmm. So it's taken a long time for this to come out. But the the reality is that there have been a number, quite a few, actually, a number of accounts of individuals 
who have had apparent, we'll say, uh, encounters with non-human beings, and and a large number of those have apparently, I say that again, involved being taken without their um, without their permission or or against their will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of cases where people have claimed that they would uh, come upon a landed craft, uh, beings outside the craft who would then ask them, would you like for us to take you on a trip? Uh, This has come up quite a few times. And uh, sometimes individuals report that they say yes. Sometimes they have reported that they've declined. And, you know, these are stories that circulate around in our culture and it's hard to prove or disprove them. But uh, that whole part of it's out there too. But the whole abduction element it's been very, very significant in uh, UFO research, really since the late seventies, early eighties, and it that's um, just it's established itself. It's it's there, and it is contentious, as you said. Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, they, they they say there's never anything new under the sun, but as far as the so-called alien abduction phenomena is concerned, do you think there is anything new, or moreover, anything new that's been discovered about alien abduction from your perspective? That's a good question. Um, there's a recent study that just came out by the organization Free, and that was associated mm-hmm. with the late uh, Edgar Mitchell. I know them well, yes. And um, uh, Tracy and I just got the Free study in the mail, and I have to say I haven't read it, uh, but I, I want to and will. But that is a, an analysis of several thousand mm-hmm. um people who have had or have claimed to have had encounters with non-human beings. And so what they've tried to do is, I guess, as methodically and carefully as they can, uh, run some numbers through and, and find out, you know, what's actually going on? What what does this large uh, amount of data have to say to us? And one of the things that they have been promoting uh, about in their findings is that um, I think something like three quarters or some uh, between two thirds and three quarters of all the people who've had experiences with these other beings have reported them as uh, basically positive. Mm-hmm. So that's some, that might be something new. I mean, when we think about alien abduction, we tend to think it's negative, it's traumatic. Uh, we think of researchers, the pioneers like Bud Hopkins, Dave Jacobs, who have um, in their work always focused on the traumatic aspects of alien abduction. And let me just say, I've interviewed a number of people who've had apparent alien abductions that have been traumatizing to them as well, not fun experiences. Um, but nonetheless, the free study um, has uh, a different conclusion, at least for many of the people that they've indicated, no, uh, maybe maybe it's positive, or at least the people are reporting that it hasn't been that awful, and that, in fact, many people would want to have it done again. They would mm-hmm. not be taken so whatever that means, um, again, this is a brand new study. It just came out within the last month. So. Uh-huh. I'm aware of that. I'm so yeah. glad you brought up free. By the, I, people know we talk about free all the time. In fact, we're, I'm uh, sort of not an ambassador, but a friend of free. What's uh, their acronym? I'm trying to remember what it actually stands it, for. Well, I'll tell you. It is the Dr. <laughs> Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences. They actually made Thank it you. longer. <laughs> and I've yeah, watched that cool. one so many times. They actually, well, it's interesting. They actually added the extraordinary. It used to be Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters, but oh, based right. based on the study, what the sort of epiphany that they had is that there are extraordinary experiences, I should say, that fall mm-hmm. outside of the realm of the classic abduction or oh, contact phenomenon. Right. 
And that's really, really about what they're doing now is cross correlating other phenomena like out of body experiences, near death experiences, shamanic experiences, remote viewing uh, with the contact phenomenon. So, uh, yeah, we could talk about free for a while. We could, <laughs> you know, they just yeah, came well, out with this fabulous like book. Hopefully they won't add another E to their acronym. Know, hey, right? <laughs> They're actually going to keep it as F-R-E-E. I said to Ray Hernandez, okay. who I just had on the show, you're going to add another E. It's like, yeah, but, but yeah. So anyway, that's great. Uh, yeah. That's a fantastic thing. And I'm glad you got that study. I think that that's going to be chock full of great research for you. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. And yeah. I'm, I think I'll be diving in uh, pretty soon. Right now, just uh, it's interesting. and I don't want to get too sidetracked. Uh, this is more related to our question, our interview a year ago on AI. But mm. I've been delving back into transhumanism um, just in part because I'm giving a lecture at a transhumanist event in a couple of weeks in Branson, Missouri. Uh-huh. And uh, this has been a good opportunity for me to look at that phenomenon and any relations, <clears throat> excuse me, that it might have uh to the UFO phenomenon. Does the UFOs have anything to say about it? Not sure if we want to go in there, except here's one Here's one thing as it relates to abduction. It occurred to me that when you're dealing with the alien abduction phenomenon and the um, existence of hybrids, or at least, again, we'll say alleged existence of hybrids, uh, alien-human hybrid beings, that, that if that is true, that is explicitly a form of transhumanism. Um, like very explicitly, it's a form of beyond human. And um, when you're dealing with you know high level of genetic science, taking a human being and mixing that genetics with another species or another being, that gets you into a form of transhumanism. And if that's so, <clears throat> uh, people in the transhumanist field might just want to be apprised of that and um, and see what data can be found in that phenomenon. Boy, you're going down a just, rabbit hole, dude. You just, just don't waste thought. any time. Just a thought. Can we just stay right on this? Because first of all, I think you took <laughs> some of the words out of my mouth because I was about oh. to talk about uh, sort of this confluence of AI. I'll never forget the chat we had on AI. In fact, I'm going to make sure we have a link so folks can go back uh, if they haven't seen it. Yeah, that was uh, a fun conversation. That I was, yeah. And you, if yeah, you recall, I was really mm-hmm. trying to get you to go into where there may be a nexus or some interrelationship between artificial intelligence and non-human intelligence. So it sounds like you may have given that a little mm-hmm. more, more thought. Mm-hmm. Could be. Okay. Could be. Yeah. Well, give us your thoughts. Oh, <laughs> well, <push> <laughs> um, well I've, I've felt for a long time, a very long time, almost since I've broken into the UFO field many years ago, that, that what we're dealing with in terms of this intelligence of UFOs is – has got to have a relationship with artificial intelligence, with advanced artificial intelligence. Like there's no way, logically, in my opinion, that it can't. If we uh, simply look ahead in our own society, the next 10, 20 years, only 20 years down the road, and we see where uh, we're going to be with AI, probably having strong, what uh, the experts call strong AI or general, I think it's general AI, that can essentially think for itself. And if not 20 years and maybe 50 years, however long it takes, it's going to happen. And and so then I thought, well, if there's other another civilization that's gone through their own computer age, then good chance that they've achieved something similar, their own version of strong AI. And if that is the case, they might have been able to go through their own version of their trans species uh, development, transhumanist, that is genetically modifying themselves, maybe for space travel or maybe for interdimensional travel mm-hmm. or – Maybe, maybe modifying themselves so that they could function here on planet Earth 
in an effective way. I mean, they after all, presumably, they wouldn't be from here, so maybe their uh, resistance to viruses and bacteria would be lower, or maybe they they would need to modify themselves, you know, to deal with the solar radiation or gravity or who knows. And so they would need to go through their own sort of trans species uh, science. So that, in other words, I, I've hypothesized just to myself for a very long time that these other beings, they're, they're probably not naturally occurring. They're probably the product of some kind of very, very advanced genetic modification program. And then when you get into, you know, looking at our own future in um, total immersive virtual reality, mm. whether by entertainment or education or just living out of fantasy, being a millionaire celebrity in some virtual reality – um, all of that will be connected to a cloud, presumably, right? All of it's going to be cloud-based. And that means not only will your brain be connected to that cloud, but that cloud will be connected to your brain. And and now we're getting into a future of humanity where we're going to be looking at a potential beehive type of psychology. I mean, for real, like we could – I could easily imagine people – because in a world where economic opportunity might – very likely just get worse and worse and worse for many, many people in a yeah. highly, highly uh, limited, restricted, bureaucratized, legally restrictive environment where you can't really just go off and be free the way maybe people used to, but you can perhaps in your in your virtual reality. And so I think we'll see a lot of people living within uh, VR types of situations for many, many, many hours every day. And uh, in that situation – if you if you're in interconnectivity with all these other people all the time, what are your thoughts and what what are where's your sovereignty? It's a really interesting mm. question to ask. Absolutely. And but but then back to these other beings, are they dealing with a kind of cloud, uh, like you know in Star Trek's The Borg? Are they dealing with a kind of beehive mentality or cloud connection where they're all part of a collective? And is that where we are moving? I actually believe that is where we are moving. I think we're moving into a collective type of a consciousness. No question. You're asking some really, really deep questions. And as you're sort of describing this potential future, which I happen to think is a little closer to the present than we may know, mm. I can see sort of this trajectory playing out. Uh, you know, again, we were, before we went on the air, we were talking about the, going on a news diet because it's literally making me sick. I'm really tired of it. But as a journalist. News diet, and can we just say a little bit of local gossip in our field? Yeah, that, a little, just a little. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> all of it. I think I'm going to just go outside and watch birds anyway. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, in yeah. watching this this sort of trend of foisting uh, elements of AI on the unsuspecting public, which is clearly happening. I say unsuspecting because I don't think they know the bigger agenda by and large. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, uh, it's been talked about, you know, uh, First, it was in terms of devices, let's just say, first, we had what are called holdables, which are, are your cell phones and your, you know, whatever, your iPads, etc. Uh -huh. Now we're seeing more people with the wearables, their Fitbits and all that good oh, stuff. Yes, yes. And Absolutely. next, it's going to be the implantables, which totally I think true. are being, you know, that this is being uh, not only looked at and, and piloted now, and, and but people are, at least in some other countries I've heard, are willingly uh, where you know being implanted with things, chips oh, yeah. to be able to open the, the the door at their job, et cetera. So everything you're mentioning, Richard, I'm seeing the sort of what has been called the uh, uh, what is it called? Not totalitarian tiptoe. I'm using I'm stealing from David Icke here. Um, 
Maybe it isn't the totalitarian well, tip-tap. It, it is, I think it's literally – I think totalitarian is actually a really perfect word for what we're mm. looking at because when you think about what is totalitarianism, it's a form of government that seeks to manage the totality of your existence, like right. everything. Absolutely. There's no, there's no part of your life that is untouched, that is managed. And I mean totalitarian could be uh, horrible and brutal and violent and, and bad in that way or totalitarian could be uh, more benign but, but equally controlling. Due you know, to the, it, it, yeah. it depends on the face that it has. So, right. but we are hmm. we're definitely moving in that direction. And and the real question is, will we? How far down will we go? And will we stay down that way? Those are all these other questions. And the technologies that we're exploring right now and developing, like a train out of control. Are you said just that before. Train out of control. You sure did. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, by the way, um, I know we you you uh, we were going to talk about abductions and. If people are listening, I, I don't want to disappoint them. But while we're on this whole area of technology, one one segue with abductions is the whole phenomenon of, of alien implants. Uh -huh. And I'm just bringing this up because I think, um, you know, there. First of all, I think that the phenomenon of alien implants is is definitely real and legitimate, and I do firmly believe that the work of the late Dr. Roger Lear uh -huh. was was instrumental and and really correct in the details that he um, uncovered. And, and I just want to point out, like, uh, Roger Lear, when he was alive, he extracted um, not a, like, I mean, you, you would think hundreds of implants, and it wasn't that amount. It was like a couple of dozen implants, I think, from people's bodies over the years, uh, to my knowledge. But um, he gave a he wrote a paper on this, and his, I think it's on his website. And he gave a lecture on this at the National Press Club years ago, and that's on YouTube. And he did it in conjunction with a, a doctor named Alex Mosier, who had a PhD in um, physical chemistry, I think. And so, so Lear extracted these, and Mosier did detailed analysis of the implants. And what Lear had said is like, if you were to take all of these implants and put them on a surgical uh, table, like they would look identical. And they did a detailed analysis of, I think, a couple or maybe even just one detailed. And what they found is that that this implant gave off, aside from the fact that it was very difficult to like to handle, like it almost seemed like it was resisting being cut. Hmm. Um, he mentioned that, but it it gave off an, uh, a radio frequency, and it gave off uh, the frequency was in an exact range of fourteen point seven megahertz. And I'm mentioning this because that's actually, it turns out, that's a very effective frequency uh, that is used in the U.S. for low-power, short-range use, like for RFID, mm -hmm. like a data tag. So, mm -hmm. so in other words, this is a chip that sure as heck seemed like it's um, a chip to identify who you are, like basically to give all the information like an RFID chip would give to uh to an item in a in a warehouse inventory you know um so anyway i guess the point is that that these implants were highly technological and beyond that like you would think okay well so maybe we're just uh some black budget group is creating these chips and putting them in people i guess maybe but the way they describe the manufacture of these these were of a level of sophistication um that is off the charts, yeah. like highly, highly sophisticated. And they talk quite a bit about this, at, uh, quite at length about it. So it's entirely possible that if they're human manufacturer, we're talking about a very, very advanced 
decades or generations advanced black budget group that's taking people and shipping them or uh, just as conceivably to me a non-human group that's taking them and indeed um, the reason I think it is a non-human group actually is that um, a large number of the people that had these implants taken out by Roger Lear were those who said I think I had an alien abduction experience right. and this is what I remember so so they've got that memory and then they've got this implant he takes the implant out and boom, it gives off a radio frequency, and it's got a lot of other uh, physical uh, properties about it, which were very, very unique. Mm -hmm. And so there you go. I mean, the I think the alien implant phenomenon really requires more attention, and it's unfortunate that Rogers passed away. I, I, I still remember how how um, awful I felt when I learned that he died. Mm. But there, um, I believe that there are other people carrying on his work. I don't know who these these folks are, but. Um, but we definitely need more work on this because yeah. it's a critical part of the uh, alien abduction phenomenon. Yeah, very well said. Um, I know that Mary Rodwell, who I work very closely with, has had worked uh, as well closely with Roger Lear and has, I think, speaks about his work in her book, The New Human. You know, uh, as I'm listening to you describe this, Richard, I'm, I'm just thinking again, it just seems that everything that we're not postulating, but sort of putting out there as a question it seems that the lines are so blurred between what is alien influenced and what is what is non-human influence versus human influence. And oh, if yeah. there is truly uh, an interrelationship, a, a partnership, if you will, this is this is the big, 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 huge question. To what extent, forgive the, the term, are we in mm -hmm. bed? Are he, some humans in bed with non-human intelligence in this sort of grand collaboration? That's the thing that is, to me, quite... Um, uh, disturbing. It, it's a, it's a big question, but it's very yeah. it's it's disturbing to me because no, it is. Well, here we're we're speculating. We have to speculate yes. because I don't know, and I don't know anyone who actually really does know. There are people who claim to know, and but I don't I don't feel that we have any real knowledge of this. But I I would say that it does seem to me that um, that a large portion of what we call the UFO phenomenon is not from our civilization. It's not from us. It's not from it's not from human beings as we know them um and you know with enough accounts eyewitness accounts of short gray alien beings mm. tall uh, insectoid type beings tall reptoid type beings um and even you know a wide variety of human uh like beings yeah. that that look very human but that some are very very tall some are um, some are similar in size to us, but there's a lot of variety of those as well. Anyway, with enough of that testimony, um, I think that there's there's a non-human element to this uh, phenomenon that's been going on for a long time. But I also think that within our own civilization that there's been a, a covert, a clandestine secret, um, you know, within militaries, within the intelligence community, groups that have been studying this, and which I've often called a breakaway civilization, yes. mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that they've developed science and technology that have allowed them, uh, based on, you know, based on the exotic tech that they've been studying, they've developed their own versions of it, and that's allowed them. So they're another factor in the equation. So we've got these others, these other beings, and then we've got our own attempts to replicate, duplicate, and I think some of those are incredibly advanced as well. So um, where we don't really, it, it's one of those things where you go to a, a really complicated sporting event and you don't have a card to identify all the players. It's really tough to know who is who. Yeah. 
Um, even now, I mean, you know, you and I have both been delving into this in our own way for many years. I've been in this for 25 years. And, a lot longer than me, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's, there's folks who have been in it longer than me, and, and it's difficult really to say, I absolutely know. I know this, I know that, and, and I can't get to that point. I'm not there mm. yet. But it does look to me that we've got non-humans that are in this mix and that there are humans in this mix and that there's a relationship between the two. And I, I would have to say it's at least a, a realistic consideration to think that there are some humans who are in a relationship with these other beings in one way or another. I mean, uh, there's enough, enough of these stories that I've, I've tended to credit. One was by uh, Dan Sherman, who wrote a book called Above Black. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. He's Somewhere. been out for a long time. And I, I want to reread his book again. I've got a copy in, in this house. And, but he talked about um, working uh, with or through NSA and that there was one very, very small communications group within that that was charged with communicating with these, these non-human beings. And I actually found his, his uh, account of it to be credible. I, I can't say that it's proven, you know, but – and then there's a number of others where, where it, you get this idea that we've gotten a communication with them. <clears throat> There's one story, <clears throat> excuse me for coughing here, um, getting into remote viewing, which some people will say, oh, God, where's he going now with remote viewing? But I think um, remote viewing has had enough of a track record that we can take seriously some of the better and more established ones. So one was a, a man named Pat Price back in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. so Price uh, famously walked into the office of Dr. Hal Putoff at Stanford Research Institute and he said, you know, just uh, so you know, on my own, I've been uh, doing some remote views of alien bases on planet Earth here. <laughs> and he said, there's four that I've identified, and they were all um, – uh, three were in mountain ranges, and one was out in the west of, uh, of Australia. One of the ones in the mountain ranges was, at, he said, a place called Mount Hayes, Alaska. So he said that had uh, explicit protection from the United States government. Like, you, you can't go there. You can't see it. So that implication, and and for me, Pat Price was legendary in his. Mm -hmm. it, so it would imply that the um, that this base, this non-human base, has enough at least formal protection from the U.S. government that there's connection there. And then you've got stories coming from um, uh, an old retired Air Force. A uh, colonel with high-level clearance named Ernie Keller Strauss. Linda Moulton House talked a lot about him, and um, Air Force Captain Robert Collins, uh, who's out there every now and then. He's he knew Ernie Keller Strauss, but Keller Strauss in the 1980s led a little group of people. It became known as the Aviary. People have heard of the Aviary, but they would uh, basically have a number of insiders who were interested in the UFO phenomenon just to get get together privately and talk about what they knew. And Keller Strauss apparently had knowledge of what was going on out in uh, Western Nevada, mm -hmm. uh, under a formal government control, these these lands that just go out for, forever. But there was one area where the rumor was that these were uh, managed by non-humans, and you better not go out there alone because it could be very dangerous for you. Oh. But that the U.S. government knew all about it and couldn't really do anything about it. So every now and then you get these these stories, and they leak out, they come out, and you know, skeptic can easily just say, ah. Right. Just story. Can't, what do you do with it? But the thing is, like, they're not all coming out from crazy people who are 
clearly you need to you need to watch out for some of them really coming out from very very stable individuals who've got genuine careers and um and so i mean i'll take them seriously and i think right. a number of other people do too so that's a long a long response to your your point about is there a kind of collusion between us and them mm-hmm. and i would I don't pretend that I know the answer, but I would say that there probably would more likely is and isn't. Okay. I think taken together, uh, Richard, as we look at all of the um, history of these, these sorts of stories that you told, I think you'd have to be just co- completely in cognitive dissonance to, to dismiss everything out of hand. I, I'm kind of over people yeah. and that, that, that attitude. So we won't. Go, I'm not going to go off on a tangent yeah. there, but I'm going to let's let's keep going down the rabbit hole because I think these sure. are things yeah. that people want to hear, and I think they deserve uh, conversation. Uh, I, let me tell you about um, this really disturbing account that I, I recently heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, account of a woman who's known as Alyssa E. Alyssa E. You all out there in the Higher Journeys audience may know the name. She's been she's been pretty vocal uh, in terms of her own. Abuse as an MK Ultra victim and uh, ritual child abuse, but among other things, this is something that I recently heard her say. Among other things, uh, she brought up in this conversation was a very disturbing scenario about being in the process of she had gone through a, a deprogramming, fortunately, uh, to to learn about her abuse and and her alters, etc. I mean, this is really just complex stuff that I had no idea how multidimensional it was. But she okay. As she's going through the deprogramming, she discovers that along with this insidious abuse that she had experienced from childhood, she also began to recall what she believed were alien abduction encounters, many of them, in fact. So when she she said in some uh, was that she, along with some other victims she'd spoken to, believed that their abductions with non-human entities were, in fact, screen memories for a much darker and malevolent agenda that included ritual abuse with humans. This is tied into what we're talking about here, this collusion or this, again, blurring of lines of who's instigating what and what's really going on here. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, the whole idea, the whole uh, reality of satanic ritual abuse, or I think it's often just referred to now as SRA, Mm. that's real. and, um, And it is, of course, deeply disturbing. There's a reason, uh, increasingly, when you look into the science of mind control, that satanic ritual abuse is actually as widespread as it appears to be, and it does mm-hmm. appear to be widespread. And the reason is that it's really effective. Uh, it's really effective in traumatizing and breaking a human mind mm-hmm. so that you can then uh, program it and use it for your own purposes later down the road. And I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, but it appears to be true. Like that, this is why um, a lot of individuals who have clearly no ethics, no scruples, will do horrible, horrible things to young children to break them in such a way that they are then, you can split off uh, multiple personalities that are available, um, you know, after, due to code words and things like that, just like in a Manchurian Candidate, mm-hmm. like that, that's exactly true. And so ritual abuse or the satanic versions of it are are very effective in breaking and and think about even the phrase ritual abuse. Like, so if if a child is in such a situation, they they have no control. They are absolutely powerless in the face of really the most terrifying 
uh, reality that just keeps going and going and going. I mean, there's no, I have no vocabulary to describe the, the depth of depravity and terror that someone must go through when they're experiencing ritual abuse or satanic ritual abuse. So um, it's it's just um, just hideously awful, but it is effective mm-hmm. at creating the effects that the the perpetrators want. Um, and conceivably, and I here's where my knowledge really kind of ends. I'm not I can't pretend that I'm I'm uh, some kind of expert at it, but um, it would appear that it should be possible to create. Um, a belief in an alien abduction when it didn't happen mm-hmm. through enough trauma and abuse. Um, you know, if you want to hide some other activity that you're doing and blame it on the aliens, I would imagine that's conceivably that could happen. I don't know that that's the case. I mean, and here's the other thing. Um, you can't use it that to explain more than a probably a small handful of alleged alien abduction cases because the vast majority of alien abductees that I am aware of are not victims of, of ritual abuse. Mm-hmm. So most of them, you can't use that as as a, an explanation for saying, well, you saw aliens because they mind controlled you and abused you. Well, most of these people are reasonably well adjusted and do not appear to have been um, subject to that. But but uh, ritual abuse is a real phenomenon, and and this goes way 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 beyond anything connected with the UFOs. I mean, um, this is such a widespread. All you have to do is spend a, a couple of days, weeks, months, years on YouTube and go through all of the accounts that are out there. It's just uh, it's really something. Horrifying. Yeah. I want to I want to toss something out, uh, Richard, before I lose my train of thought here. And that is and I uh, your point is well taken in terms of correlating, you know, it's not a one to one ratio, certainly. But it occurred to me as you were explaining that dynamic. I mean, let's think about, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the free study, as a matter of fact, and the, mm. the, the type of profile of individuals that tend to be uh, have a proclivity for paranormal experiences. And there's a range of sort yeah. of impetuses, if you will, for, for perhaps why, intergenerational being one. But I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of someone who has gone through this, again, insidious, heinous world of being ritually abused over and over and over again. And again, as you so aptly mentioned, one of the one of the goals in this is to be able to break or compartmentalize the brain in order to be able to store certain bits of information in one part and mm-hmm. some in another for 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 uh, malevolent reasons, obviously, as an agenda. But these people, it would seem would be more susceptible to all sorts of unusual phenomena based on their being uh, so compromised in their brain. I think that's, I agree with you. In fact, um, including alien abduction, real alien abduction. Tracy and I are looking into a a case rather quietly right now. We're not really publicizing it, but uh, where it appears to be um, a case of uh, of some form of ritual abuse was engaged against an individual who then, um, much, much later in life, seemed to gain access to some very, very interesting kind of information through, I'll say, unconventional means, but whether psychic means or something else going on. And um, we're looking into this data and – you know, so you have to wonder, all right, so did the ritual abuse cause fantasies to develop where this mm. person developed certain knowledge? But but it, it appears actually that this individual um, may not have been developing fantasy knowledge. This actually could be genuine knowledge. And so 
um, what is that all about? And and one possibility is that um, the damage that occurs to someone psychologically could actually open up possibilities for them to learn things. Right. And this is a horrible uh, and very controversial thing to say because someone could say, well, you're just justifying ritual abuse. And no, I'm not. I'm not justifying ritual abuse. Um, that can never be justified. But it's, it is also possible that one of the results of uh, ritual abuse could be an opening up of, of these types of uh, capabilities. And in fact, um, this is an old idea. This goes back to at least the 1960s. The Esalen Institute of all places out in California uh, explored back in the mid-early 60s the idea of trauma um, providing a gateway hmm. to um, higher higher lo- knowledge, if yes. you can put it that way. So mm-hmm. that take that down where, wherever it goes. So it's it's entirely possible that there's a, there's truth to that, and that um, one of the, I mean, the human mind is it's very complicated, right? Absolutely. And if and if you damage it enough. You're not, you don't destroy it. You just simply damage it and really screw it up, and you screw up someone's personality for the rest of their life. But you also um, might be able to get them to be able to do things that psychologically um, stable and healthy people would not be able mm. to do. Right. So it, it's, uh, again, I, I think um, people listening are realizing this is not an endorsement. In fact, I think anyone who would submits ritual abuse upon someone else should be, um, I mean, really, um, severely, severely punished by our society. Yeah, it's, a, it's a horrible thing. But but the results um, could be very complex and are, are much more than just destroying someone's mind. You could actually be creating certain capabilities. As I agree. I agree. Oh, boy, this is a big one. You know, again, every time I hear you say something, it prompts another thought in my mind. I mean, we could take the reverse of that, Richard. And Mm -hmm. in fact, I have heard cases of individuals who have been sort of targeted uh, for certain programs, let's say MKUltra, but targeted, not plucked out of nowhere. There's always it's there's there's a reason for for a particular child, Mm -hmm. one of which I have heard is that they are tested as being higher than average psychic ability, which means they have a natural propensity in this direction. So again, what I'm seeing is some kind of there's there's some sort of parallel here between this horrible, horrible lifestyle, if you want to even call it that this hell Mm -hmm. that these children are put into. And this idea of being sort of a sponge or magnet for paranormal phenomena, including alien abduction, you know, the more I think about it, I guess maybe right. I'm answering my own question. I don't know. This is I'm just, we're just throwing it out there and kind of tossing it out there to, to discuss. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot happening here. Um, like, let's just let's put out a hypothesis. So let's just say that uh, way back in the 1940s and maybe early 50s, the United States government and maybe other governments were aware that other beings were here from elsewhere, and they could not control these other beings. And moreover, that these other beings had um, a very powerful form of telepathic communication, which I think both of those things are true. I think the U.S. government knew about these other beings, and I think they knew that these other beings had a telepathic capability, very strong. So if that's the case, then it would become a priority for that government to cultivate as many uh, psychically advanced warriors as it could. Because you would need them, like they would be incredibly valuable. So you would 
uh, go out of your way to to comb the nation, mm-hmm. and comb the world, for kids who who seem to exhibit these capabilities or have, have have promise of those capabilities. So that gets you into the whole idea of the secret school phenomenon, and is that real? And I think that is real. Uh, I myself interviewed a gentleman. I know this guy really well, mm-hmm. and uh, was as honest as a day is long. And uh, I know his, his partner and. Um, he's one of a number of people that I'm actually aware of who, as a young boy, seems to have been taken, seems to have and not abused. He was taken by what could very well be a human group or a very, very advanced human group that uh, was testing him for psychic capabilities. And and I say human group because all he can remember is that they had uh, military boots and military he – couldn't, he couldn't see above, uh, above the waist level. You couldn't see what they look like. Uh, it's a very odd thing. He was like five, six years old. He was a little kid way back in the 50s, going way, wow. way back. And um, But they would have him and these other little children sit around in a circle and testing uh, with these balls of different colors to see if they could uh, telepathically move the balls across the room. And they would test it. Here's try the yellow ball and try the green ball. And he said to me, and no one was able to move the red ball. So there were different types of balls, and um, and then for him the the uh, the tests just stopped, and he was hmm. not brought back. They didn't bring him back. So maybe I I would assume maybe he flunked the test. I don't know what it was with him. But seriously, wow. like if you're if you're scoping the population looking for candidates, that would be one thing you do. Let, let's just say that's true. So I I think that's true. Um, so then you've got. A group of kids that you're training to be psychic warriors, and maybe you don't want them all to know what they're doing. So now you've got to get into some covert stuff, and you get into memory management and mind manipulation in one way or another. And um, and those that technology, I think, absolutely does exist. Like the ability to inhibit formation of memories as you're experiencing something. I think we've that that's a science in itself. And it's very, very little discussed, but I think that this capability does exist. So you can, to a, a greater or lesser extent, imperfectly, but you can really manage someone's mem- memories pretty well um, <clears throat> enough anyway to get what you want. Mm-hmm. So let's say that's the case. And now you go further and you're figuring out a science of increasing psychic uh, capabilities of someone and that m- you might – you know, maybe one of your German scientists through paperclip would say, uh, we've got some really good trauma-based conditioning methods we want to run by you. And, and you're like, oh, wow, this works really right. great. And so huh. you begin doing trauma-based conditioning of some of these kids. Like all of that could be really possible. And you could just say, well, it's for the greater good. We need them for such and such work. Now, maybe um, that's not what they're being used for, but maybe, you know, maybe they'd be used for other things. I mean – I don't know. I mean, the, the yeah. sky is the limit with some of these. But then you've got a whole problem of keeping secrecy on this, these types of programs. And right. But the thing is, with satanic ritual abuse, um, here's the thing: this is something that has been going for a very, very long time, and up until the last, let's say, five years or more, has been pretty much below the radar. Absolutely. Like it's yeah. been very widespread. So, in a sense, the secret has been kept very effectively and what are these people doing you know it's come out in britain it's come out a little bit in america and um probably elsewhere that these satanic groups they exist and they they do horrible things Hmm. and they've gone for 
decades and generations and no one has known no one no one which i find that's that's really this really should be the theme of the show maybe we maybe we come back and do another show and really focus (laughs) in on this one because it's deep and i was saying to you and tracy both offline I, i i found myself sort of looking into this a bit more um have not covered it i think this is probably the greatest extent i've gotten into the subject but it needs to be talked about this uh how ubiquitous it is and how interestingly it has gone under the radar for so long and and yet that seems to fly in the face if it is that common and more prevalent how could it be kept secret unless the people that they think they're keeping the secret from are involved in it? You know, it's real. That's a conundrum. That's a real conundrum. There's a book that came out about 25 years ago called the Franklin Franklin cover. Absolutely. Yes. Of course I am. uh, I think Mm. Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I could be wrong. Boys town. Middle of the U S yeah. Uh, And that was implicating, uh, I think, high-level members members of the local Republican Party, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. engaging in um, pedophilia, ritual abuse, uh, really deeply disturbing, scary types of uh, uh, torture to young people. And it wasn't – it's not a partisan thing. It's not like only the Republicans did it. But in this particular case, they were looking into high-level Republican Party operatives that were involved. Um, And then that whole thing just got uh, hushed up. It kind of went nowhere. But that's an interesting story. So I think, you know, it's in the U.S. It's definitely in the U.K. It's, it's global. There's it's no in Europe. It's it's it. Yeah, it's elsewhere. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to reel this conversation back in because we're okay. <laughs> we're going a little down the rabbit hole. We may not be able to get back out. So They're like, what about abductions? <laughs> what about abductions? And, you know, again, I guess I opened that can of worms because it's it's always uh, interesting to explore the correlations. But let, let's bring in a, a mutual friend uh, and colleague we both know well, Grant Cameron. Uh, I want to talk about a talk that he gave some time ago that I attended. I don't know, it may have been a Conscious Life Expo, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But he, where he said emphatically, now this is getting back into the, the abduction phenomenon or the contactee phenomenon, let's just say. Right. He said that he believed that if a person has had one recalled abduction encounter, then they have been abducted multiple times, whether they realize it or not. And he calls them lifers. That always stuck with me. I'd love mm. to get your thoughts on that. In other words, you know, you may just be recalling one that you think is isolated, but uh, chances are, and I want to get into Carla Turner, who you wrote about in your UFOs yeah. in the National Security mm-hmm. State, beautiful book, volume two, uh, being a, perhaps a lifer. But what are your thoughts on that? I, I think there's a lot to it. Um, I, you know, I don't know if every single abductee can say that they're a lifer. Um, is Travis Walton a lifer? Travis Walton, in my opinion, is is one of the best possible one-offs that I can think of in terms of mm. abductions. Um, I don't know that Travis has had any other subsequent abduction experiences. He certainly, if so, he's never talked about them. Or maybe he doesn't um, realize. Maybe he's not aware. That's the other thing. It's supposed, but but I'm I've never been comfortable with the argument that well, it's you know you have no way of knowing, but it's probably true. Like, well, okay, <laughs> what do I do with that? Um, I, it is it is definitely a real possibility that a large number of abductees are multiple abductees. Um, certainly, a, a certain proportion of them are. I don't know what the uh, the free data has to say on this yet, but I mean, I would think that a large number of people who've had abduction experiences are very likely multiple abductees, whether it's 90 percent, 50 percent, I couldn't say. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, would, I personally would not be comfortable uh, without uh, some information to say that it's everyone, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe if that's what Grant was saying. Um, 
so, but I do think realistically that um, if they're interested in you once, they're probably interested in you again because, first of all, an implant alone would indicate ongoing monitoring and tracking. Um, so you probably be with multiple abductee if you've got an implant. And huh. and here's here's been a theory that I've had for a long time. So if I were a, a super intelligent telepathic alien looking at the mass of humanity and um, I would I would maybe not consider all humans of equal interest to me. I would maybe be more interested in those humans who have certain psychic abilities, actually. I mean, I would be. If I were an alien with psychic capabilities, I would think, oh, this human's not really very switched on psychically, but that one is. Let's take a look at her. And then you study her. You, um, I mean, that would make her more interesting from a scientific point of view. And so... Or and maybe it's not psychic capabilities. Maybe it's physiological um, capabilities or some other kind of mental capability that we're not even thinking about that they can identify. There there might be certain identifiers and markers about certain people. We talk about bloodlines. Maybe there's yes. something to that. I don't know. But but there might be reasons that they would come back to someone multiple times. Right, right. Well, this may be a good time to bring in Carla Turner. Um, that's a name that's that's been pretty well proliferated throughout uh, the UFO circle, yeah. I believe. Uh, she died way, way too young and too long ago. And yeah, was, yeah. How long, when did she pass, actually? Uh, mid-90s, I think 96. Has it been that long? Wow. Okay. So a little over 20 years. And uh, I never got the opportunity to meet her. I know a few colleagues now who, who knew Carla when she was active. There's a couple of YouTube videos of her out there, or maybe at least one. I think I've seen one, yeah. Yeah, I think that might be the one. And uh, she has a number of books out uh, mm. that I think four books, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> and um, the thing about Carla Turner, she is a, had a PhD in, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was like medieval literature or something like that. She was, a, but got involved. She had her own abduction experiences mm -hmm. and started a kind of local circle. She was living in Texas, I believe, and met up with a lot of people, mostly women who had similar experiences. And a number of those women describe what were crystal clear military abduction my labs right you mentioned that in your book yes yeah and so that's how uh she was really i think she was probably the first person to really bring up the my lab phenomenon as a major thing a couple of other researchers followed quickly on after that a guy named helmut lammer wrote a pretty interesting book on my labs and there hasn't been too much written about the my lab phenomenon um i i know one person who is an apparent my lab uh victim who I have been encouraging for some time to write a book on it, and I don't know if that will ever happen, but mm -hmm. I hope I hope it because this is a good person to do it. Um, but it is there's definitely a I think this is a thing like um, how deep, how widespread it is is something I I couldn't say, but there are enough um, a there's enough memories from abductees of military type people with non-human we'll call them aliens. Um, this has come up in some famous cases and in many cases that are not famous where where people will recall this type of a thing. So that's one thing. And then there are a few cases of individuals um, where they've talked very explicitly about having been in, you know taken by a military group. Maybe maybe one of the best early ones is a uh, uh, Melinda Leslie who yeah. is still around and um, in this field and she, at least in the past, used to talk pretty explicitly about her MyLab experiences. 
So the idea is that you've got a black budget, a very clandestine group uh, within U.S. military in this case, and they they're following the abduction phenomenon. And I think one of the key ideas about this is that if you if they think that you're an abductee, they're going want they will want to know, like as a form of counterintelligence, what happened in your experience. They want to know what were the aliens like, what did they say, what did they do, right. and this is one theme of the MyLab phenomenon. Uh, there very well may be other themes, other purposes of the MyLab phenomenon. Um, I've, I've wondered for some time, are they actually taking people to have them do work for them? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and, you know, doing whatever kind of memory management, brain wiping that they can, that they can employ with chemicals and hypnosis. Um, I, I've never, I've never gotten proof of this. So it's hard for me to say, like, I, mm-hmm. I know this is happening, but I do wonder um, I haven't heard much lately about my lab allegations from people, or yeah. at least that I've I've been able to like really super take seriously. But I don't, I wouldn't doubt that it's um, it's out there. But I haven't heard much about my maybe, labs lately. Maybe there's a new iteration. I mean, these things. It's like MK Ultra. Some say it's it's been defunct, and others say oh, it's just taken on another sort of hybrid so who's to say well mk ultra could can never be debunked i mean mk ultra as a formal program ceased to exist actually way back in 1963 hmm. but that's only because they changed the name right so there were other mk programs that followed it was one called mk delta and there are a number of others and and then the whole thing was outed in the 1970s but that doesn't mean that the u.s government and military stopped mind control experiments good grief mm-hmm. they, they have gone so far beyond anything they were doing with mk ultra um and it's, it's not all within military it's all sometimes it's within you know university contractors and wow. so really something uh, the same same with media control it, that that never ended either yeah never Never. Just different iterations, I think, Richard Dolan. And, and profound. It's more yeah, profound. Absolutely. Wow. Well, listen, you've dropped a load on us today. <laughs> this is yeah. more, than, more, more than I bargained for, but you know what? Bring the juice. I love it. <laughs> it's, always, it's always fun having these chats with you. I really do enjoy oh, them. And I guess the last thing I would say regarding abduction is yeah. um, it's contentious, yeah, but I would say that to someone who's really deeply skeptical about it, take some time actually and go into some of the more prominent cases. And it's easy to research a lot of them. You've got, um, you know, going back to Betty and Barney Hill. Of course. Uh, you've got the, the Travis Walton case, which I still consider a very, very strong one. And then there's a lot that are, are less well known. There's a fascinating case going back to the 60s and 70s of Betty Andreas and Luca, a very interesting lady. And, um, and right on through their research of people like John Mack and and now you know uh, people like Yvonne Smith and Yvonne yes zero uh, absolutely I, think, I know Yvonne well yeah. Yvonne Yvonne's work is really superb absolutely. in my view she's written a number of very good books on the subject yeah. and uh, there's also chosen Barbara mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry yeah yeah I'm sorry yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you and, sh- and Kathleen Martin Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner have also done some very good work on this so um, there's very very good current research being done on the abduction phenomenon and now the free study mm-hmm. um i've got my hands on but i need to read so there's there's reason to take the abduction phenomenon seriously last thing that i'll just leave you with is um everyone's got a different attitude on how serious and grave this is is this the most grave threat to humanity that we've ever faced dave jacobs says yes um 
And uh, other people will say yes. And I, I don't think that I say yes. I don't think that abductions is the most grave threat that we're dealing with of this entire UFO uh, and UFO tech phenomenon. I think that there's, there's worse things that we need to be worrying about. Uh, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that people who are being taken are um, – I don't want to trivialize their experience. But I would say that we're dealing with uh, issues that are of, of greater – greater portent and um, mm. and seriousness and even alien abductions which is important and which i mean i don't want to make it uh, make light of it because if if this were ever if if and when disclosure happens abductions are going to come out as a very prominent a very prominent feature of this and a real big problem a very big problem for the various governments to deal with um you know people have been taken you know this and you haven't done a thing about it and all of that's going to happen right the fact is, I don't think governments have been able to do much about it, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of helpless. But again, I think uh, you want a greater threat to worry about. Look at the future of AI and transhumanism, yeah. and I think that those are probably much more frightening when we look into the next uh, 30, 50 years of our history. Here, here, particularly taken together, they're frightening. Mm-hmm. You right. know, it's, I think yeah. it's very difficult to. But lines of demarcation, Richard, between any of these things, that's what's frightening is how they're mm-hmm. somehow intertwined. It's so. all coming together at once, isn't it? Like, Seems like it. Co- I was talking with Tracy about this the other day. We were chatting and it's like you've got, let's say there's a disclosure. I do think that like, there'll be some kind of crack in the in the secrecy wall in the next 20, 30 years. Everyone's predicting it's like tomorrow or next year or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't think so, but I think it will happen in my lifetime. And and at the same time, we're looking at the achievement of a, of a, of strong AI, post singularity uh, computer intelligence, very possibly, as well as a breakthrough in genetic modifications of the human genome itself. Uh, that'll that'll achieve, you know, some kind of ultra long lasting life and immortality and all of this craziness, which I think is the scariest prospect I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And all coalescing at once, it, it almost almost at the same time, uh, aside from. The environmental issues that are definitely here and are a problem on this planet, and aside from all the military issues that are getting worse and worse, not better, and all these other problems that are just – it's like the perfect storm. It is a perfect and storm. And it's all happening together, and I can't – like, why is it happening together? That's the question that I'm, I wonder about, but that'll have to be for another time, I guess. Cliffhanger. <laughs> We're about to get on the other side of it. I'm, I'm going to just keep it positive. We are going to get on the other side of this tumult and, and for the better. Well, I think so, so too. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're resilient enough that I think we'll make it. And yeah. um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be rocky, but I believe so. In the interim, as we close out, tell us what you got coming up, Richard, because you're Mr. Oh, yeah. Frenetic. What's happening well, with you? The, the <laughs> biggest thing that's been going on is that uh, we've created a, a, a new website, and I really I would love for people to know about it. Ooh. I've got my my traditional website, Richard Olin Publishing. Uh, excuse me, Richard Olin Press. dot com, where I have my books and books by other authors I publish, and that's a very active site. Uh, but I've created Richard Olin Members. dot com, oh. and it's um, I've thrown a lot of activity on there: blog postings, video, off the cuff audio and video, all types of things. And it's just basically for people to get kind of an inside look of, as to what I'm doing, not just in my professional world, but in my life. And um, 
and it's very, very active, and it's been a very energizing thing. So working that website, Richard Allen Members, has been a really, really beneficial thing, and I love the people who come to that site. It's, it's like a, we've got our own little community, growing, very big community now. That's fabulous. So that's been one thing. I'm doing, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a lecture on transhumanism for a – um, and it's this sold out, but they're doing video live streams so people can check it out. It's called the Legends, um, Legends, True Legends Conference. That's mm-hmm. what it is, and that's in Branson, Missouri. And if you want the link to that, I guess you can Google it, or you can go to Richard Ola Members. Go to the event. I'll make tab. sure to have a link. Tell us the date again. The date? September sixteenth, uh, I think. Okay. Uh, that weekend, whatever it's fourteenth to sixteenth, something like that. It's coming up. We'll make sure to have that. I will be over in the UK, of course, filming some shows with some of our friends. Ah. But uh, I'll be thinking of you. And w- but we'll make sure to have a link. As a matter of fact, the show is going to air the day we uh, fly over there. So that's oh, great. Nice. And I have one last question in closing. Mm-hmm. When are you going to do this book on false flags? When is it going to be like done? We did this interview. <laughs> I'm going oh, to yell bad. on you a little uh, bit there now. We did this interview on false flags back in 2016. You know, it's funny. I I, I uh, started out in this field like taking forever to write each book, and then and then I went through a period where I banged out a couple of long books really quickly sure uh, did. after disclosure, and then 21st Century Mind, and now I'm back to my my traditional method apparently. <laughs> so I've got the false flag book. Um, it is on my uh, my front burner now, and I, I think probably early 2019 to be realistic. Okay, I know a lot of people are looking for. I want to it that. done. Uh, it's very important for me to get it done. I have a lot of good material that's written. I'm happy with it. I just need to kind of wrap it up. Okay, so I will. Well, God willing, you will. Listen, you. what can I say, Mr. Dolan? Always, always, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, Same here, Alexis. Show and uh, chatting with you and Tracy, and really excited to hang out with you guys. We got a couple of things. Maybe we'll be seeing each other. I think in October you you're going to be in Vermont, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, no, I won't. You're not going to do that one. No, sadly, oh. I think that'll be a very nice event, uh, but yeah. no, I won't be able to attend that. So. Okay. Well, we'll I think Barbara Lamb, Barbara Lamb is going to be there, and yes. Uh, yes. we're, we're going to hopefully have a meetup there. But we'll be seeing each other. We'll be seeing Barbara's each other wonderful. on the circuit at some point. So yeah. once again, don't hang up. I'm just going to sign off for now and say, as always, thank you to the journeyers for tuning into this episode of Higher Journeys. And thank you, Richard Dolan, once again for joining us. Thank you. Talk to you all real soon. Take care.